Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) I read a post this morning that said, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, Valentine's Day. That's just, um, you know, that's just a made up holiday. Really? Like, like so many of our holidays that are like rooted in what fact? Hmm. Mother's Day, Father's Day. Hmm. Oh, what the heck? You know, I say the more holidays, the better. You know, it's good to have something to look forward to, something to have fun with, right? So happy Valentine's Day. I hope whether or not you got a card or some candy, whether or not you're going out for a romantic dinner, you got flowers. I just hope you had a nice day and that somebody wished you well today. Okay, let's lower our expectations. That has never really served us wrong, has it? No, it has not. We have a really interesting day today. We're going to be talking to two of the candidates for mayor. Starting at 2.30, we're going to talk to Brandon Johnson. And I want to thank those of you who have emailed and uh, texted in questions. 773-763-9278. I think that at some point with Brandon, we will open the phone lines so you can text me a question. I will try to te- check it. Uh, it's a little bit trickier for me to check email while I'm on the air, but I will endeavor to do so. And, of course, at some point, you will be able to call in and ask your own questions. I just ask that uh, even if you're supporting another candidate, that you make your question uh, respectful. Okay. So uh, that's Brandon Johnson is going to be 2.30 to 3.30. And then from 4 to 5 today, we are going to be talking to uh, the Reverend Dr. Willie Wilson. Same deal. Text your questions. You can email your questions. I have some questions prepared. And, of course, um, at some point, we will open up the phone lines. If you would like to ask Dr. Willie Wilson um, the question yourself, we are going to allow you to do this. This is something that we will give you permission to do. So until then, uh, there is actually some interesting news of the day. I can't help it. I want to start with the balloon stuff. Or as one of the newsletters I read referred to it as as that we're getting attacked by balloon people. I, I like that. The balloon people. We've, they send us silig- cylinders, they send us octagons, they send us car-sized packages. You know, it's, um, it's always difficult. I can speak to you as a reporter. When any news breaks, depending upon who you talk to, you get a slightly different take. We know, so it's like, did we shoot the balloon down uh, over Canada? First it was yes, then it was no, then it was yes. You know, do they have payloads? First it was no, then it was yes. Each of these flying objects seems to have something attached to it. And, you know, today we're getting all the different possibilities. Still won't say 
that they're from a particular place or a particular country, but they could be a number of things, you know. They could be weather balloons. Could be. Uh, they could be um, balloon-like packages sent aloft by researchers. They could be, you know, gosh darn it, they could be anything. They just could be anything. So you might think to yourself, well, once they collect the debris from the ground, then we'll know. But one of the objects was shot down over the mountains upper in Canada and Alaska. So that's going to be uh, a little time consuming to get those pieces. And one of the other objects fell into Lake Huron, which means that, yeah, they're, they'll find the stuff. I'm sure they're, I would hope they're looking for it right now, but those kinds of things, it'll, it'll take a few days. Maybe here's what I think, whether it takes a few hours or a few days, I think that they're going to use this. Ah, you know, we're still looking for debris response for the foreseeable future uh, to keep us in the dark until they have a chance to really find the stuff, really figure out what it is, where it came from, and even better, what it was doing. The three objects shot down recently, one Friday, one Saturday, one Sunday, were um, at a much lower altitude than the Chinese spy balloon. The Chinese spy balloon was at 60,000 feet. These other objects, I think the car-like one was described as 40,000 feet, and the other two were below that, which is why they honestly did pose a danger to commercial aviation. So um, we will find out later, rather than sooner, who the balloon people are. I can't wait. I still, I still hope that at least one of the objects came from the outer space regions. I think that if, you know, if E.T. was ever going to make an appearance, now would be a great time. I mean, we're already primed to look at the sky and anyway, I'm losing my mind. There is uh, actual political news of this day. A couple of big announcements. Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, specifically the San Francisco area, has made it official today. She is not going to run for re-election in 2024. She's 89 years old right now, and frankly, uh, it is pretty well documented that she is suffering from memory problems. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to pretend to give any kind of diagnosis about anything, but it's become clear from stories reported from people who had conversations with her that her her short-term memory is not good. So she has made it official. Uh, she's made it official after two people in from her own party from her own state, have already said that they're going to run for her seat. So um, there was a lot of pressure on her to make this announcement. 
Adam Schiff, the congressman from California, Katie Porter, the congresswoman woman from California, and uh, probably a few other Congress people from California will be in the race when all is said and done. Katie Porter, the first to jump in. Adam Schiff, who was supposedly very interested in the seat but wanted to wait until Diane actually made the announcement that she was going to run again. But then Katie Porter jumped in, and I think he kind of felt like he he had to, lest Katie Porter start... Um, signing up all the endorsements and the donor money before he had a chance to get in there. So it is official. Dianne Feinstein is not going to run again for the Senate in 2024. Katie Porter, Adam Schiff, the only two officially declared candidates. (laughs) There is another officially declared candidate in another race. Honestly, I, I thought she already had said this, but... Today, Nikki Haley made it clear with a video announcement that runs three and a half minutes long that she is running to be president in 2024. And I'm not going to share any of that video with you because the Republicans don't even seem to care that she's doing this, and I certainly don't care. Even Donald Trump doesn't care. When there were first rumors that she was seriously considering this, he told one of his conservative interviewers, "Eh, if she wants to run, she should run. That is not a man who's worried about Nikki Haley. He has given her no attention, even today. I mean, maybe before the day is out. um, I don't really uh, subscribe to Truth Social though he has started, um, now that Meta has let him back on Facebook and Instagram, he and he's back on Twitter, he has dipped a toe in those waters. But um, I think this is a big bunch of nothing. Even Republicans, I think, are very wary of her because she, she you know, she just... She supports Trump, but she doesn't. Uh, She thinks that a lot of what he does is fine, but it isn't. She is impossible to pin down. You know, a lot of Republicans, if the powers that be are doing things they don't like, in their cowardice, they will just be quiet. They will just not say anything. She has taken a different tack. She both supports and doesn't support. It's very, very strange. But in her announcement, she clearly takes a jab at Trump's age. He's younger than Biden, but not by much. And she says it's time for a new generation to emerge. So far, uh, her candidacy has uh, met, been met with deaden- deadening silence. Nobody um, seems to care, which has to be, you know, I think if you're a politician, if you can't get people to love you, then maybe, maybe you want them to passionately hate you because either way, there's a certain amount of engagement and involvement. Your name 
is on the tip of their tongue, whether they're praising you or cursing you, it's still they're talking about you. I don't um, sense that anything like that is happening with Nikki Haley today. It's like this vast vacuum. And, you know, it's funny because on paper, she looks like a good candidate. She's been a governor. She was the U.N. ambassador. But she flip-flops, not just over a period of months, but over a period of days, sometimes over a period of hours. Well, I like this. No, I don't like this. That was a good thing. That was a bad thing. It's the same thing, Nikki. She is um, having some discussions. You know, she's going to be making the rounds of the uh, early primary states to see if she can drum up some support. But I would be shocked. You know, everybody's waiting for DeSantis. The the smart money, indeed, if there is such a thing, is saying that DeSantis will enter the race this coming May. That right now, you know, the Florida legislature is in session and that that's got 100% of his attention. But once they adjourn for the summer in May, then perhaps he will turn his attention to national politics. That, my friend, is what's going to be interesting. And the fact that Donald Trump is pretty much ignoring Nikki Haley and still trashing Ron DeSantis shows you what he thinks, who he thinks the challenge is going to come from. Um, more to talk about this, but we need to take a break. Let's get to it. I'll be back with more after this. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. We have been uh, talking about the news of the day. Diane Feinstein has said... She will not run for re-election to the U.S. Senate in 2024, opening up that seat in California. Nikki Haley has made it official with a three and a half minute video that you are not going to hear from me that she wants to be the Republican nominee um, to be the next president. Um, public policy polling uh, came out with they they asked people how they would vote Biden versus Trump, Biden versus DeSantis, Biden versus Nikki Haley. And um, the good news is that each and every one of those contests is won by Joe Biden. According to, again, this is from public policy polling. Say that fast three times. Biden versus Trump. Biden, 49 percent. Trump, 45 Biden versus DeSantis, a little tighter. Biden, 47 percent. DeSantis, 44. Biden versus Nikki Haley, the biggest point spread. Biden, 45 percent of the vote. Nikki Haley, 39 percent of the vote. Oh, by the way, you know how I always have you get your calendar out and mark important dates. You already have February 21st marked because that is the day Wisconsinites Go to the polls for the primary for the Supreme Court seat that's open. Four candidates enter the ring. Two will leave. 
April 4th, we will find out who gets the seat. But the primary that narrows the race of four people down to two people is the 21st. This is not a strictly partisan primary. There are two Republicans and two Democrats in the race. But depending upon how this goes, there could be any combination of winners. It could be two Republicans that go to the April 4th uh, runoff. It could be two Democrats, could be a Republican and a Democrat. That is going to be every bit as important as the Supreme Court races that we went through here in Illinois. And then, of course, February 28th, we have um, we have elections in a lot of places, but the Chicago mayor's race is the one that is getting the most incredible attention. We will uh, do an, an election special that night. I'm not quite sure who our guests are going to be, but I will uh, share that information with you um, as soon as we get it. So one other date this Thursday, this Thursday, you know how there's a lot of states that are pursuing cases against Donald Trump. You, you, you don't forget about that, right? Well, in Georgia, the judge overseeing the case into the election fraud, et cetera, and so forth, that judge has ruled that the introduction and the conclusion, not the body, but the intro and the conclusion of a grand jury report on that will be released Thursday. Here's the kicker. The judge is also releasing a section from that report, just one, about the witnesses jurors believe lied to them. Grand jury, under oath, you lie, you go to jail. So that should be exciting. That's this Thursday. Uh, before we uh, move on, let's go to the phone line. Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hey, Steve, how are you? Fine, thank you. And I, I too, uh, find those polls rather interesting in terms of where we're heading in 2024. Um, yes, uh, on a national level, uh, Biden defeats uh, all comers at this point. Now, uh, what's going to sort of make this an interesting mix going forward is who actually gets the nomination. Uh, because when you ask Republicans, uh, the vast majority of them want someone other than Donald Trump to be the nominee. However, given the structure of their primary system, it's a winner-take-all system. So basically, you know, 60, 70 percent of people could want somebody other than Donald Trump. But as long as he's able to secure the largest segment, that base, then he he gets those delegates. You know, keep in mind, in 2016, mm-hmm. until the 33rd state that Donald Trump managed to win a majority of voters. So, you know, they have this, again, a system that I think needs reform because, again, you, it's possible to nominate somebody that doesn't stand a chance of actually winning the general election because a lot of moderate Republicans might stay at home or might be even tempted to vote for a Democrat. So I think it's a flawed system that needs to be redressed in some, in some manner, but uh, the Republicans may need to find out that the hard way. And uh, additionally, unlike previous elections, you know, that it appears we're going to have a two-tier system. You know, it's, everybody's not going to be showing up at the Iowa caucuses in New Hampshire at the same time. I you know. know. Some might be showing up in South Carolina and so forth. So, yeah, it's going to be a rather, you know, interesting and historic, uh, you know, election cycle. But um, as you've noted on this show and other people, you know, the Republicans are really at a crossroads. They, they have a chance to sort of reestablish sanity in their party in 2024 and, and have a fresh start. 
or they can just keep going down that rabbit hole. And that, uh, that I think 2024 is going to be the litmus test for them as a party. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, you know, I've been one of those people who says, you you know, we count Donald Trump out at our peril. And I still think that is the case. But, but this 2024 election really could be the final nail in his coffin. He could go from um, being the center of attention to a footnote, I think, very quickly after this. Oh, yeah. Not because Republicans have found their courage, but simply because he's outlasted his usefulness to them. Oh, absolutely. And, and make no mistake, I, I you can't find someone who despises Donald Trump more than I do. But at the same time, I think he is a gift to us relative to who could run against uh, uh, Joe Biden. I don't want a Ron DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or others, you know, fairly sane people who are much more articulate, uh, better educated, and aren't given to the kind of flubs that Donald Trump is given to. So, you know, you, when Donald Trump was in mm-hmm. office running, he, he might offer up something that people like, and then all of a sudden he tweets something ridiculous that everybody in his own party would have to apologize for. Well, you're not going to get that with a Ron DeSantis. So I'm afraid that a reasonably sane extremist you know, that knows how to play the system politically um, could be an attractive alternative as opposed to Donald Trump. Keep in mind, nothing in the last two years has rehabilitated Donald Trump's image. It's not as if the American. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think that um, I think we're going to see the Republican Party reaping what they have sown, because whether or not Donald Trump does organize the base and end up pulling off the nomination, he will eviscerate anybody who eclipses him. I don't think as Democrats, we're going to have to do as much work as we otherwise would have. I think in some respects, we're going to be able to sit back a little bit and let him just um, open up Ron DeSantis and let his insides drip to the ground. I mean, you know, Donald Trump is not going to go quiet into that good night. He is going to destroy anybody who comes close to eclipsing him. Right. And it, and it hasn't been as if, uh, you know, going into this, you know, the, the, this early on that you, you're seeing some sort of sort of mild attacks on, on DeSantis from Trump. No, he decided to go full bore, all guns blazing. You know, uh, Ron DeSantis is a child groomer. I mean, so let's assume then that, that DeSantis actually gets the nomination. He's going to be so bloody. And, and then the base who are Donald Trump loyalists may not turn out or actually believe this craziness. In which case, you know, they're not going to be rushing out to vote for him. So, again, it's a gift for Democrats either way. But I I think that that a healthy society, a healthy democracy such as ours, needs two viable parties. I don't want to see the end of the Republican Party. I want to see two viable parties in America that are run by sane human beings in in order that, you know, that society can have those healthy debates and discussions. So, um, but, it, but it's up to uh, the Republicans. We can't save their house for them. It's up to them to save their house. Thank you for the call, Steve. We've got to get to a break because we're going to be spending an hour with Brandon Johnson when we come right back after this. Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. He 
is a Cook County commissioner. He has worked with the Chicago Teachers Union, which uh, has thrown a lot of support behind his candidacy. Brandon Johnson joins us now to talk about his effort to become the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Brandon, it is so nice to talk to you again. Hey, Joan, it's great to be back on with you and to be with your listeners today. You know, I was... Uh, talking to my audience in the days after the WCPT mayoral forum, I asked people to text in and call in or email me what they thought, um, what really stood out. And I have to tell you, there was a lot of feedback about you. It was like people felt they were kind of discovering you for the first time. And they liked your energy. They liked your ideas. They were really impressed uh, with you. Have you found that you well, obviously you're gaining your candidacy's gaining traction because now the mayor Light- Lightfoot is focusing her attention on you, which is also kind of uh, it's a kind of a left handed compliment. But are you finding that people who didn't know about you before are discovering you and um in a way that is very gratifying. Well, it, it certainly is refreshing and very exciting that our campaign is, has certainly caught fire and our, our movement is is growing and it's certainly stronger. So that certainly is um, really exciting. And, and in fact, I mean, it's really a testament to the people of Chicago. Um, for a very long time in this city, as you know, Joan, that the politics of old have left so many of our families behind. And, you know, this, you know, really well-documented tale of two cities in which those who have uh, tend to keep and protect and gain more and those with very little, uh, we continue to experience loss. That that type of um, stratified structure is just, it's not sustainable. It's never been um, equitable, but it's at this point, it has left, you know, all of us feeling, you know, less safe and experiencing um, a lot more despair. So, to know that the listening audience of WCPT um, is reacting to our to our campaign is certainly not just gratifying, but it, you know it's 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 um I don't know it's very comforting. I mean, because I look at WCPT as you know this is family. You know, I've, from the time that I've you know have been a guest host or to running my own show, um, to know that you know, the individuals who who come to this particular space for their news recognizes that their values. Um, are not radical. Our values are not extreme. I mean, these are, um, you know, well thought out proposals and plans and desires of the city of Chicago. And I'm very much excited to be able to voice those those demands and those desires and more importantly, those hopes. We um, here at uh, WCPT, you know, we've got some questions, um, some issues we'd like you to address. But I've also opened up my uh, text line and other forms of communication to the listeners. And I was really interesting. We've gotten, oh, I don't know. Um, we've gotten a lot of questions from listeners. And what I think is interesting is, you know, as you know, Brandon, when you do the forums or an interview like this, a lot of times it tends to be sort of big picture stuff that, that we want to talk about. But the questions that I'm getting from the audience are really very, very nitty gritty. Like, for instance, I know at every forum you talk about public safety and what you want to do to bring about public safety. But let me read you this question that came in from Mary. 
I'm very concerned about the. Oh no, that's not the one. Um, this is <laughs> this is not from Mary. Mary's. We'll get to Mary. This is uh, from another listener. Um, it is a fact that a lot of Chicago police have been accused of abusing their authority as police. But how do we help those good police who want to continue as police remain safe and out of danger while on the job? And it's kind of it's public safety oriented, but it's a very most of the listeners have very specific questions. How do we help the good police stand up and fight a system that seems to support at least covering up for bad police? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's a concern that we all have, particularly about public safety. But in particular, um, you know, the fact that we have people in law enforcement, like many of our institutions, where you have individuals who don't, you know, abide by, um, you know, a, a code of conduct or ethics um, that, that, that people would expect from individuals who are, you know, committed or at least in, in theory or, or, or have made some presentation that they're committed to serving and protecting. And look, those failures exist in all of our institutions. I'm a public school teacher. Many of your listeners probably know that by now. And even within our, our public school system, we have individuals that, that do not possess the cultural competency that's required. So is it a recruitment issue? Is it a training issue? I mean, I think part of it is, you know, one, they should not have to serve alongside individuals who are known, um, you know, members of white supremacist organizations, right? And so... You mean like the uh, recently reinstated police officer who's an open member of the Proud Boys? That's correct. I mean, that, that has to be demoralizing for a police force when you're out here serving and protecting communities of color in particular. And, you know, there are individuals on the force um, who who subscribe by a different ideology, which could be quite damning and threatening. But the other dynamic, Joan, is the fact that we are asking police officers to do too much. And it's a very similar dynamic with, with teachers, right? You know, with almost 40% of the 911 calls are mental health crises. You know, police officers shouldn't be asked to be social workers and marriage counselors. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's why I'm committed to passing treatment, not trauma. We're going to do that in the first 100 days, because if once we pass treatment, not trauma, we're going to have on the front line mental health crisis specialists, social workers, therapists, individuals who can help diffuse and deescalate situations because that is a part of their profession. It doesn't mean that officers should not have training. Right. That can help broaden their approach because they are, you know, serving in a large city. However, if over 40% of the violence that happens in the city of Chicago, it takes place in 6% of the city. So we know where it is most likely to take place. This is about having smart policing and having service frontline responders who can deal with the crisis at hand. This would eliminate some of the situations in which officers are being forced into Look, as a worker, I'm very conscious of having a safe, healthy working environment. And as mayor of the city of Chicago, um, you're going to have a worker on the fifth floor who understands the dynamics of the day-to-day routine of serving the city. And whether you are an officer, a firefighter, a nurse, teacher, a bus operator, train operator, I have the lived experience of knowing 
what it's like to be in a work environment where you're not respected and that you don't have um, the type of investments and supports that needed in order for you to do your job effectively. So that's the specific thing that I'm going to do right away. Because if we don't do Let that, me ask you about that in a little bit more detail, though, because I, it makes perfect sense on paper to say, OK, the data shows us this is where crime is most likely to happen. That's where we're going to send police. But oftentimes in my conversations with the people uh, who live in those areas is they start to feel like the police aren't there to help, but that there are there's so many of them that they start to feel like it's an occupying force. That is how one listener described it to me. It felt like the police were an occupying force. And by the same token, you take those extra police away from, say, you know, Lincoln Park or uh, or the area around Wrigley Field. And, you know, wealthy people call police and they have to wait um, 15, 20 minutes for a response. They are not going to be happy. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of the wealthy people who live in the city of Chicago, they're donors, they're movers, they're shakers. They don't want to sit by and wait 20 minutes for a cop car to show up because the preponderance of the force is has been deployed where crime is most prevalent. It's a great idea on paper, but um, people have found that the execution of it can be a little messy what are your thoughts on how you would execute it and avoid those problems? Well, let me just make sure that I'm clear. Like public safety is not more police. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. So I want to make sure I'm clear about that. Public no, but I'm saying exactly that. If you take the police that are there and, and shift a preponderance of them to certain neighborhoods, those neighborhoods are going to feel overwhelmed and some of the places the police have been taken from might feel underserved. So this is not about shifting. This is about being smart is what I'm getting at. Okay. Because look, I live, I live in the communities in which you're talking about. Look, black people, I'll just say it, all right? Black people call police more than anyone else in this city, and we hate when they show up, right? It's a very, very interesting dynamic, right, because of trust that has been broken and that there's a great deal of skepticism. And you're right. I don't want to come home. I live in Austin on the west side of Chicago. I don't want to come home with sirens and blue lights. That doesn't feel like home. What I'm getting at is that if 40% of the calls that are coming through 911 are mental health crises, you're putting police officers in position where everyone is going to be less safe, is what mm-hmm. I'm getting at. By having I- individuals the front line who can respond to what the 911 call actually is that frees up law enforcement to be distributed so that no one is waiting 20, 30 minutes for someone to show up. I merely stated that over 40% of the violence happens in 6% of the city, just to give some context that if you distribute it in the, in the way in which it should be done in a smart way, by making sure that law enforcement is not responding to calls that they shouldn't have to, and two, that they're able to be freed up to respond to whatever the needs are, that by having smarter policing, we can predict to a large extent where violence and poverty per capita, like Garfield Park, for instance, that I represent on the County Board of Commissioners, we know those spaces need far more investment, right? 
And, and, and that's what the public safety plan is really about. It's not just about promoting detectives within the rank and file or executing the consent decree with far more expediency. It's about doubling the amount of young people that we're going to hire when I'm elected mayor of the city of Chicago. There's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. Again, passing treatment, not trauma, to make sure that we have mental health services available to Chicagoans. That's why I'm committed to reopening um, the mental health centers so they're going to be publicly funded and run, right? These are all dynamics that contribute to a safer Chicago. And these are the things that I've been promoting well before I've been running for office. I just happen to be in a position as a result of the movement that has propelled and prepared me for this moment. I'm speaking with Chicago mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We are going to take a very quick one-minute break and be back with more after this. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Brandon Johnson, who is going to be on the February 28th ballot in the city of Chicago to be the next mayor. And uh, we have talked about public safety. I want to move on to the subject of schools, school funding, um, how they should be run. All of these issues have come up over and over again. The idea of vouchers. Uh, kind of uh, that was kind of an idea supported by Bruce Rauner. Uh, people say vouchers, which give people basically money to send their kids to private or religious schools, that those are killing the public schools. I've even heard complaints from some quarters that um, maybe Chicago shouldn't have magnet schools, the schools that you usually have to test to get into and that um, are known for rigorous academic standards. Big discussion about schools. One of my listeners was much more succinct than I just was, Brandon. And they texted in, what is your proposal to create equitable schools and equitable school funding? Yeah, it's a great question. It's top of mind for me. Um, You know, again, as a public school teacher, I I can tell you firsthand um, that those disparities are real. Um, you know, having taught in Cabrini Green at a neighborhood elementary school um, centered in the housing projects of Cabrini Green, while also teaching at a selective enrollment high school on the west side of Chicago where people have to compete just to be able to access, you know, you know, a, a, a free education. So, and again, my, my, my children are also um, students in our Chicago public school system. So I have, I have, I have all the incentive in the world for our public school system to actually thrive and work. And the bottom line is this, is that as mayor of the city of Chicago, voting for me means you're actually going to have someone who believes in public education, one. Two, we fought six years ago to, to shift the, um, the funding formula so that schools can be funded based on need and not per population. Um, the mayor of Chicago has refused to embrace, um, literally has refused to embrace um, that component. And so as a result of that, because we are spending per people and not on me, the city of Chicago is missing out on $1 billion of school funding. 
And what does that look like in real life? What that means is um, the west side of Chicago, for instance, only has one librarian. One librarian for the entire west side of the city of Chicago. I mean, these are the type of gross disparities that have been um, pervasive for too long. We're going to change that. And one of the models in which we're going to use to shift that is called the Sustainable Community Schools model. And so we fought for that as an organizer. We have 20 sustainable community schools. And, and what it does is it makes sure that every single school has a baseline of support, a social worker, counselor, um, a librarian. All of the schools should have a baseline, right? But there are some schools that have been neglected for so long, we need to provide additional resources and make sure that they are community controlled and led. So Byler Elementary on the west side of Chicago is a good example. Rahm had it on his list to close. We fought to keep it open. We make it a sustainable community school. And now it is one of the models for the entire school district. And what happened was the parents there decided to use those additional resources to have a community-based organization provide mental health support for students and families, um, the community garden. I mean, a lot of just different things that they did to bring the community together, to have additional staff, again, to provide more restorative justice. As a result of this, fights have gone down, suspensions have gone down, academics have gone up, participation for parents has gone up. Third thing is we have to make sure that we have a real high school plan. And in my education plan, we laid that out along with child care for all, uh, for our education system, children will get to ride the bus for free because students should not have to find a ride to get to a school, especially if it's not their fault that they don't have a school in their own neighborhood. This really comes down to someone willing to work with people. So the final thing is, this is why we fought for an elected representative school board. The mayor's office is not going to be our parents or our grandparents' mayor's office any longer. We've actually brought more democracy to the city of Chicago. This is something that is unprecedented, particularly for the city of Chicago and the politics of today where voting rights are being restricted. We actually expanded that. And so as mayor of Chicago, I would be a staunch advocate for not just funding, but making sure that we're providing the type of support services that our students need. Students need to be exposed to art, the music, music, theater, um, draft. Do you have a problem with the existence of magnet schools? So I think what magnet schools have done, they have actually caused more stratification in the city of Chicago. It's not so much that they have a problem with it. The question is, does it work for everyone? And the answer is emphatically, no, it does not. In fact, we know that the white students in particular make up roughly 8% of the student population, but they make up the vast majority of students in selective enrollment schools. I mean, like the, the vast majority. Right. And so there's uh, an equitable distribution of who has access to a fully funded school. Right. So it's not so much having a problem, quote unquote, with a particular style. Right. It's more or less what has worked. And this particular formation has not worked. And so this is why we have to invest in our neighborhood schools. And as mayor of the city of Chicago, that is what I'm dedicated to. That's what I'm committed to, because in my case, with my own children, our oldest, we live in Austin. Our oldest, we drop them off in Hyde Park to go to Kenwood. Our two youngest, we drop them off near you all, um, um, up by where the station is. We're, up, we're in Portage Park, right? We love those school communities. We appreciate those school communities, but we attend those, those school communities because they offer things that our neighborhood schools do not. So my son, for instance, he plays the violin. 
There's not a full operating orchestra neighborhood school on the west side of Chicago. So he goes to Kenwood, right, or he attends Kenwood. So these are some of the basic things that we can do and offer, not to mention making sure that we're creating affordable housing, reliable transportation, again, making sure that there are neighborhoods that are walkable so that walking to school, having an affordable home in which you can live in, you know, we have, what, almost 20,000 students who are unhoused right now in the city of Chicago. These are the dynamics that, that I will face the moment that I'm sworn in. And, and how we address them is basically uh, it's contingent upon our ability to organize people and bring them together to solve these challenges collectively as a city. And I've done it already. I've done it as an organizer, as a Cook County commissioner, and I'm confident that the people of Chicago – Vote for me to become the next mayor of the city of Chicago. You're going to have a school system that everyone can be proud of. We have uh, just a few minutes before we're going to break for news. So let me ask you some quick questions. Again, as I said, the questions texted in by listeners were very, very specific. Okay, if the Bears leave, are you going to petition the uh, National Football League to try to get another team? You know, honestly, I really hope... (laughs) Haven't thought about that one a lot? (laughs) You thought about that one so much, honestly, but I think okay, I'm hoping that the Bears hold on a little bit more. I can talk. Hopefully, we can convince them to stay. Um, how do you feel about the casino? Not that there's anything we can do about it at this point in time. Just have to make sure that the revenue, um, you know, is distributed in a way that actually per- provides for a safer, stronger city. And, and it has to make sure our people go ahead. locally. And uh, somebody else asked, um, what do you think of the planned NASCAR race in downtown Chicago, which has, while there may be an influx of tourist dollars, though that might be debatable, has been kind of controversial because it's a lot of people are saying it was done very quickly. It was a deal done without transparency. And everybody seems to be a little bit unclear as to what, if any, disruption or damage it'll do to the area around the lakefront. How do you feel yeah. about the uh, NASCAR race? I feel like what, how everybody else feels about it. It wasn't done in a collaborative way. There's no transparency. Um, it's obviously very quite disruptive. It's going to be, whether whether it intends to be or not, it's going to be disruptive. I mean, you're shutting down lanes over the course of a period of time. I mean, I think it, what it says is that the mayor of Chicago is just unwilling to collaborate and work with people to build consensus, even if it's a good idea, which in this case I don't believe it is, that you still have to engage people. Um, well, let's see. We have just a tiny little bit of time. One more real quick question. As mayor, would you advocate for a Department of Environment, something we don't have in the city of Chicago yet? So absolutely. It's a part of my plan. Not only the department, it makes sure that it's fully funded. Within the first 100 days of my administration, we're going to pass a cumulative impact study. Um, that's going to be important so that we actually have some direction where we need to go um, environmentally. Look, I stood with the families on the southwest side and the southeast side as pollutants were trying to come in and an explosion took place. You just saw a report that came out yesterday or today, uh, just the, the, the warning that the mayor's office had, and she just ignored it. One of my workers was a part of the hunger strike there on the southeast side of Chicago. Uh, look, I grew up with asthma. I still struggle with it. Um, environmental justice and climate justice, two very top of mind, um, a fully funded, expanded department 
so that we actually can have, you know, a very healthy, strong environment. That's what I want for my family. I want that for every single family in the city of Chicago. I'm talking to mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We are going to take a break from uh, this conversation to bring you the news. We'll be back right after the news. I do want to remind you, I am still getting texts from people who uh, want to ask Mr. Johnson a question. 773-763-9278. We're going to probably open up the phone lines if you want to ask him your question in person, but we are certainly taking text questions on that line. We will be back with much more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm telling you CPT 820. We are speaking with Brandon Johnson, who would like to be the next mayor of Chicago. His name will be on the ballot that you cast in the city of Chicago this coming Tuesday, February 28th, two weeks from today, as a matter of fact. By the way, happy Valentine's Day, Brandon. Hey, thank you very much. Tomorrow uh, marks the uh, 27th anniversary of my wife and I's first date, the day after things, um, the day after Valentine's Day. Ah, first, we call that first date anniversary. Mine's February 28th, but I will be covering your potential election that night and not, not be out with my partner. But that's, but that's quite fine with, with me. Um, I have to talk to you. You were actually the subject, and I don't know that they did this with anybody else. You were the subject of your very own editorial in Crane's Chicago Business the end of January. And, um, being a business publication, they were concerned about the taxes that you had suggested. You know, we always hold candidates' feet to the fire. You know, they every candidate has a lot of ideas for programs, but most candidates are pretty vague when you ask them, okay, that's great, that's a wonderful idea, how are you going to fund it? You kind of got the opposite take. You were like, these are the ways that I think we should fund these programs. And people were like, oh, no, you can't you can't do you can't do this. Um, and right now, I think the I think the most recent attack on you um, from Lori Lightfoot is a proposal f- that you put forward. That's basically a sort of tax the rich a little bit more. I believe it's um um, you want to put a 3.5% tax on anybody who makes more than $100,000 a year. No, uh, at least that's what Lori said you said. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's not true. And so we don't have to repeat that anymore. Look, the Chicago Sun-Times printed that in air. They said it was a mistake. They retracted that. Lori knows that. It's not in my budget plan. It's not. You know, when my wife and I bought our first home, we made a combined income of $80,000. I was a full-time teacher, and I was with a master's degree plus. And I believe um, uh, my wife was a public employee as well. I believe she was at somewhere around $30,000. We were the richest people in our family. We made it, had a combined income of $80,000. And we needed two government assistance programs to help us purchase our first home. You know, so this notion, you know, that middle class, working class people, um, you know, would have the responsibility of funding and protecting um, our future is, is just not true. And, and, and there's a reason why the mayor of Chicago is being dishonest, because she has broken every single promise, literally every single promise that she made. 
And so now the city of Chicago is prepared to move on from her. And she is trying to enlist some some scare tactics to get people, you know, thrown off. But it's not going to work. Obviously, our campaign is still catching fire. Here's what my budget plan lays out. And I'm glad you actually articulated this point that I'm telling you the truth. These other candidates, they're not being honest with you. First of all, they're not being honest about how we got here, right? The, the reality of it is, is that the failures of Paul Dallas, he was the budget um, director um, in the 90s, whether it was for the Chicago Public Schools or for Mayor Daley, that led us into this economic despair. Everywhere he has gone, literally, everywhere he has gone, he has been fired because he just he doesn't budget well. Um, they, they've kicked the can down the road with pensions. Um, they took the dedicated revenue stream and put it into the general coffers of the city of Chicago. And they made sure that the that the ruling class of the city of Chicago was taken care of. And now here we are. We have to face the reality that we have a structural deficit of which I put in my budget plan how I'm going to eliminate it. We find a half a billion dollars in savings. Um, we raise another half a billion dollars from from corporations, from a real estate transfer tax, from a financial transaction tax, um, the jet fuel tax. I mean, we have these big, large planes who are polluting the, the, the world. They should have to pay, um, you know, for us to be able to um, find mitigation to, to, to deal with the pollution. But I was talking to Greg Hines, and he said that that actually isn't, it isn't legal that municipalities cannot levy taxes like that on uh, their airports, that that was not something that you would be able to do as mayor of the city of Chicago. So for anyone to suggest that the mayor of the city of Chicago doesn't have influence in Springfield to be able to get policies passed, then <laughs> he surely didn't have those concerns when, when Rahm Emanuel was mayor. Of course, I understand the process, the parliamentary process, just like a progressive income tax has to come from Springfield. I don't need to be lectured by Greg Hines you know, or anyone else about how we actually move revenue. The point of the matter is, is that if we want a better, stronger, safer Chicago, we have to invest in people. No one else has put forth the budget plan because why? They're going to raise property taxes. That's what they're going to do because that's what they've done. I am not raising property taxes. There is no 3.5 income tax on those who make $100,000 a year or more. There is no income tax in our proposal at all. We make it very... What about um, the other, the head tax that you suggested, $4 per worker per month, an employee head tax? Yeah, it's a good idea. It's been around for 40 years. Rahm Emanuel eliminated it because corporations got tired of doing the paperwork. We can fix that. Basically, what the corporate income, what the corporate head tax does is pretty straightforward. If you do 50 percent or more business in the city of Chicago as a larger corporation, once you get over a certain head, it's $4 a person. And when we're talking 20 to $40 million conservatively, the larger... Again, when I was talking to Greg Hines about that, he said that that's a job killer and that that's why we got rid of it was because it was a job killer. Oh, what kills jobs is the fact that we don't have a safe Chicago. Greg knows that and everyone knows that. It's just not true. Like, this is what I mean. Like, there are certain certain entities that are in place to try to protect the interests of corporations. Here's the thing, though. Clearly, President Joe Biden agrees with me. Didn't he say the same thing in his uh, in his State of the Union address, right? He said that a teacher and a firefighter should not pay the same tax rate as a billionaire. 
Like, what are we doing? Are we are we progressives? Are we Democrats or what? Look, the city of Chicago is in peril, in despair, right? Because of the economic um, depravity and the stratification that has existed for so long, right? And it's not sustainable, Joe. Everybody knows that. I think recently, I think it was the Civic Committee of the Commercial Club of Chicago. Even they agree with me now that it's just no longer sustainable to continue to raise property taxes on individuals who are not even getting a return on our investment. We don't have fully funded schools. We don't have a reliable transportation system. It is becoming increasingly more unaffordable to live in the city of Chicago. So the question is, how do we reverse that and set up a new course for a better, stronger, safer Chicago. The way you do it is you invest in people and you do ask those with means who have the ability to pay to do it. And here's the encouraging part though, Joan. When we were organizing for the progressive income tax, though it did not pass because the entire state, um, you know, put it forth for a referendum, 71% of Chicagoans said that those with means should put more skin in the game. I mean, like the city of Chicago agrees with this. We're talking 71%, you know, so, I mean, this is not something that working people and middle-class folks who listen to this station, this is not something that they don't understand. I'm confident that the people of Chicago recognize that if we're going to have a better, stronger, safer Chicago, we have to do what safe American cities do, and that's invest in people. And my budget plan does that without raising property taxes. We need to take a break. Brandon Johnson and I are talking about the issues that have come up in the mayor mayor's race. Uh, coming back, we're going to be talking about the problem of the unhoused and affordable housing and uh, many other things that you have suggested in your texts. We'll be right back after this. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. We are talking to mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson. We have one last segment to go. Uh, We're going to go to the phone lines. Brian from Joliet has a quick question for you, Brandon. Uh, Brian, go ahead. You're on with me and Brandon Johnson. Good afternoon. I'll be very quick. I have an article, Chicago Tribune, Business uh, Section 2, Sunday, August 9, 2015. Uh, CEO compensation out-earning the workers by multiples. Uh, I don't imagine things have changed that much since then. I would like to ask uh, Brandon uh, how he would address this obscene uh, pay gaps uh, between the CEOs and the workers. And uh, good luck to you, Brandon. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for that call, Brian, though. I'm not really sure that that's something within the power of a Chicago mayor to deal with. Brandon, uh, what's your response? Well, there is one component of that. And thanks for the call. You mentioned earlier, you know, that I'm the subject of like everyone's presentation. And that is really because I'm the only person who who put forth a plan. Right. Because that's something that I want the, the voters of the city of Chicago to know. And all the residents of the city of Chicago, that I'm always going to tell people the truth. And one of the things that I put forth in my, my plan, my budget plan, as well as my public safety plan, is that this, uh, the staff to supervisory ratio is way out of whack. In fact, the national average is around 10 to 1, and ours is extremely bloated. 
And so we can actually find millions of dollars in savings by just streamlining our supervisory positions and putting them on par with national averages. Now, though we may not be able to, to impact CEO pay, right, the way the caller described, but what government can do is regulate its its performance in terms of staff to supervisory ratio because ours is really out of whack. But that's why, again, my, my tax the rich plan, which I'm clear about, real estate transfer tax, right? We're talking about homes that are worth over a million dollars. And again, larger corporations, um, you know, with the head tax. I mean, these are revenue generators that will come right from those CEOs because they have the ability to pay. And it's ultimately, it's ultimately what's going to keep our city uh, stronger and safer. We want a safe city. We have to invest in what works. And that's what my administration does. The real estate transfer tax that you are talking about boosting, that came pretty close to uh, having some movement in the Chicago City Council. Of course, that was the day that uh, quorum was lost. But that group wants to use a boost in the real estate transfer tax strictly to fund unhoused people getting houses. Uh, that And um, here's a question we got from Mary. I'm very concerned about the unhoused and the lack of affordable, safe, decent housing. I know this is a very important issue to Mr. Johnson. I've seen news reports he attended gatherings with housing advocates. Can he describe some of the policies and actions he wants to take on this issue? Bring Chicago home really puts us in a good position to do that. Look, the revenue that we can generate from um, a mansion tax, essentially, or a a home over a million dollars, we're talking about public housing, one affordable housing. And what we have to do is extend and expand the affordable housing ordinance so that more units can be um, uh, put online. I've done this as a Cook County commissioner. I've built um, in collaboration two affordable housing units with seniors. And um, we also broke ground on one. And we did that within the first four years of my term. So it's possible. But we also have to create a pathway to home ownership as well. As I mentioned, my wife and I, $80,000 combined. Um, we had two government assistant programs that helped us come up with a down payment of our home. With all of the vacancy that exists in the city of Chicago, the abandonment, we can put people to work to develop and rehab and repair and revive those homes and put them back on the housing market and then incentivize workers to actually purchase them. So you create more revenue by creating more jobs and you create you know more revenue by putting the homes that are vacant on the tax rolls. And what's most disappointing about all of this is, you know, the mayor of Chicago referred to these ideas as radical and extreme. And, and when the, the, the fact that she believes that making sure that people have homes and access to health care and jobs has radical ideas, you know, that just shows you how out of touch she is. But more importantly, it means we're in good company. If you believe in fully funded schools, access to health care, good paying jobs, a reliable transportation system and a better, stronger, safer Chicago. If you believe in that and you believe that's a radical concept, then we're all in good company. And I want people to punch number five, February 28th, <laughs> for the radical idea of making sure that we don't have unhoused people in the city of Chicago. One of the experts I talked to said that a lot of the money in the city of Chicago was shifted from funding shelters 
to trying to, you know, buy vacant land, you know, buy vacant motels, get some actual housing programs off the ground. The problem, the expert told me, was that there's a gap. You know, we reduced the number of shelter beds by half, but a lot of this housing isn't really ready to be occupied yet. So in the short term, the problem's gotten a lot worse. What kind of short term measure would you put in place until some of those housing units come online? Look, I mean, here's the thing. There are some, there are affordable housing units that are available. What happens is, and this is why we have to move on this ordinance right away, that you have major developers who leave vacancy on purpose. They would rather pay the fines than actually fill those vacant um, spaces with individuals from the working class or low income. That shifts immediately. And, and what that fine needs to look like in order to incentivize or to push people to do what's right for the residents of the city of Chicago, that's something that the entire city of Chicago will, will get to wrestle with. I'm going to collaborate and bring people together because that's what I've done as an organizer. It's what I've done as a Cook County commissioner. Um, you know, there are 16 county commissioners besides myself, and that's 17. There's a board president, 11 constitutionally protected countywide elected officials, all of whom have dramatic and dynamic personalities. I've figured out how to work with them. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. look, here's a lot really important to me. I, I've shared this before. My brother, Leon, who, my oldest brother, who had untreated trauma and died addicted and unhoused. And, and and we have to move with all expediency um, to address this issue because I believe the residents of the city of Chicago don't feel proud about being called a world-class city and you have people who are too poor to live in one of the richest cities and one of the wealthiest nations at the richest time in the history of the world. No one should be too poor to live um, in a city like Chicago and having a basic human right, like a house, Healthcare, a job, transportation, right? These aren't radical ideas. These are sensible ideas that people have been pushing for for a long time, and they're finally going to have a mayor and me that's listening to them and prepared to actually do it. We only have a few minutes left, but I want to try to squeeze in one more caller. Uh, Gregory's calling from Rogers Park to ask you a question. Gregory, go ahead and ask Brandon your question. Good afternoon, Commissioner. A world-important city that wants to be considered world-class should have enough class not to have the cultural dysfunction which prevails over the 63 years I've been dealing with Chicago from time to time, which is that the vast majority of motorists do not realize it's state law that they're supposed to yield and provide safe passes for the pedestrian trying to get across the street. You only run into one on any given trip in the city, so it's not like that would be an encumbrance, and it would reduce the amount of jaywalking if they knew that when they go to the crosswalk, the waters would part and they'd get their safe passage. I'm proposing expansion of the Evanston red flag system, which is popping up around the world, where the people can pick up a stick with a red flag to signal, it's my turn, you can see me now, and then they go across and put it in the container for the people coming back the other way. We have 25. Well, I would like to add on to your question, Gregory, because there's also a lot of concern about bike lanes and what do we need to do? Uh, we want people to bike instead of drive, and yet a lot of people feel that the bike lanes, particularly downtown, are unsafe. Um, got a quick response to this in the time we have left, Brandon? Yeah, just real quick. I mean, look, we have to. First of all, let's let, let me just acknowledge. Um, you know, how street violence has just been absolutely just gruesome. Uh, the number of people who have lost their lives uh, because of, 
you know, just riding their bike or walking is just, it's, it's just awful. Right. And so improving bike infrastructure, that's a part of my safe and reliable transportation, expanding um, traffic calming features, giving preferences to buses and bus only lanes, uh, lowering the limits um, and more commercial uh, um, regulation on residential streets, just making more neighborhoods walkable. Obviously I'm a supporter of plowing the sidewalks and, and making sure that, you know, Lakeshore Drive, in particular DuSable Lakeshore Drive, is, 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 is in the hands of the people. So, um, look, I, I hear the concern. It's why I have the most robust, um, reliable transportation uh, plan that's available. Folks can check that out at brandingforchicago.com, and it's going to take all of us, you know, really to build for a more transformational state that affects um, the livelihood and existence of all families in the city of Chicago. So um, thank you for that call. And he, he's spot on making it more affordable um, as well. Um, hiring more people so that it can be more reliable. These are all dynamics that I'm supportive of, and I'm happy to have the support of many of the transportation advocates around the city of Chicago. In, uh, in the brief time we have left, what is your next public appearance that people can either attend or maybe watch online or on television or listen to on the radio? Yeah, that's good. So there's a couple of more forms that are coming up um, that people should, should tune into uh, tomorrow. Uh, we're doing um, an entire form around just um, how we have um, uh, better services and that we're treating the trauma. Um, there's another community mayoral forum tomorrow evening at 7 o'clock at Roosevelt High School. But I just want people to know. And, of course, there's a WCPT forum on Thursday at the hideout. Um, people should check us out there at 6 o'clock. That should be a lot of fun. But, you know, they can go to my website. There's a lot of good information there. They can go to our Twitter handle, our Instagram at BrandonForChicago.com, and just know that, Joan, as we said at the top of the hour, an hour ago, went by so fast that our campaign is catching fire. And whether you live in Ravenswood or Inglewood, Jefferson Park, McKinley Park, Brighton Park, Morgan Park, everywhere you are in the city of Chicago, um, you deserve so much better. And our multicultural, multi-generational movement um, across this city that is calling for real equity and justice, black, brown, white, Asian, young, old, um, rich, poor, low-income, working class. We're coming together for a better, stronger, safer Chicago. And the movement is being heard in this moment. I know people are feeling a little insecure, a little less safe, and maybe even feeling a little bit of despair. But know that you're going to have a mayor in me that doesn't just love this city, but I love people. That's how I was raised. That's what I've done as a teacher, as an organizer, as a Cook County Commissioner. I'm going to invest in people. So I'm looking forward to February 28th, Punch 5, BrandonForChicago.com. And thanks again, Joan, for all of you working to the WCPT family. Thank you, Brandon, for being here today. Brandon Johnson, Cook County Commissioner, running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. We are going to take a break and come back with more news after this. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. That was an interesting interview. Thank you to all of you who texted in questions and uh, and the callers. I want to remind you that uh, from 4 to 5 today, I will be doing much the same thing with Dr. Willie Wilson, who um, is considered, it's interesting, 
Well, first of all, if you go to the polls conducted by the various candidates, um, they will all they will all show you a poll that shows you that uh, they are ahead. Lori Lightfoot has a poll that so shows she is number one. So does Paul Vallis. So does Mr. Garcia. So um, let's set that aside for a moment. But the conventional wisdom is that at this moment in time, there are of the nine candidates, five considered the front runners. The mayor, of course, never count out an incumbent no matter what. Paul Vallis certainly getting a lot of attention, a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of aldermanic endorsements. He just got an endorsement from Brian uh, Alderman Riley. And um, Congressman Chewy Garcia, he um, seems to be working perhaps a little more quietly than some of the other candidates, but don't take that to mean that he doesn't have tremendous support and tremendous backing. And then Brandon Johnson and Dr. Willie Wilson. Those are considered by most of the reporters I know to be the top five contenders. Some people, for a long time, the conventional wisdom was that the runoff would be Lori Lightfoot and uh, her top competitor, whether that's Congressman Garcia or um, Alderman, Alderman, um, former budget director, former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis. Lately, though, I've been um, seeing more people beginning to wonder if the runoff. Now, we have an election on the 28th, but if anybody, if any candidate gets 50 percent of the vote plus one, it's over. We don't have to come back in April and do it again. With nine candidates, it is. I won't say it's impossible. Let's just say it is Highly, highly unlikely that one of those candidates is going to come away with that with those kind of numbers. So we're probably going to have a runoff. Recently, I've begun just begun to see speculation that that runoff might just be between Paul Vallis and Congressman Garcia. Um, Paul Vallis getting the Chicago Tribune endorsement. As I said, getting a number of aldermanic endorsements. Congressman Garcia is never one to be counted out. Never, never, never one to be uh, counted out. He has tremendous roots in the community. He has tremendous roots in political circles. And uh, he may not be pointing fingers or even at this point in time running a huge number of ads, but... His is a candidacy that has real backing and real depth. So it is going to be uh, fascinating to see how this plays out. Um, before we um, start talking to uh, Dr. Willie Wilson, I'm going to give you one more time to write down our phone number, 773-763-763. 7673 write it down that way it's easier to remember you can call when dr wilson is on when we first start talking it's just going to be him and me but then we are going to take a break and um come back with um 
this with opening up the phone lines in the latter part of our interview. So um, it is going to be a lot of fun, I think. I will try to save some of the questions that you've texted in already. Some people have already texted in questions for Dr. Willie Wilson, but I think a lot of the questions that have been texted in for Brandon Johnson um, are also ones worth repeating. Here's uh, what we're going to do. Before we move on to more politics, we are going to be talking politics of a different sort. We're going to be talking um, with a group called uh, Reform Illinois, political uh, Illinois Campaign for Political Reform is what it used to be known as. Now it's Reform for Illinois. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we will have that discussion before we get on to our next candidate. We'll be back after this. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Alyssa Kaplan is the executive director for Reform Illinois. Uh, We have a sort of a political theme going today, and uh, Reform Illinois fits right into our framework. Alyssa, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks so much for having me. Talk about Reform for Illinois, and why was the organization created, and what is its mission? The organization was created to deal with some of the most difficult problems in politics, especially in Illinois and in Chicago. Um, It was co-founded by former Senator Paul Simon and Bob Kustra, Lieutenant Governor, a Democrat and a Republican. So it has this nonpartisan basis. And um, we work on issues that help make government more ethical, accountable, and responsive to the people that it's supposed to serve. And that's how we got interested in this issue. And tell me what you're working on right now. Um, Well, we're working on a number of things, but I think what we're here to talk about is ranked choice voting. Um, And ranked choice voting is a reform that was recently adopted in Evanston by an overwhelming margin. It was put on the ballot as a referendum and more than 82% of people in Evanston approved it. And now it's gaining momentum here in Chicago. Uh, Alderman Matt Martin has a resolution to start a discussion about it in, in the city council. And so we're hoping that this is the beginning of a long discussion about a potentially transformative reform. You know, Alyssa, uh, I was talking to somebody yeah. on the air about ranked choice voting, and I explained the way I thought it worked and they said, well, yes, that's one form of it, but there are other forms of it. Is ranked choice voting like an umbrella phrase that encompasses different ways of tallying the vote? Or does it have a specific narrow definition? There's two There's two main types of ranked choice voting, and they have to do with the type of district that you're talking about. So in Chicago, you have what we'd call single member districts. So you have one alder person per ward. Uh, But in other 
jurisdictions or in, in countries around the world, they might have multi-member districts or proportional representation. And so you'd have a multi-winner ranked choice voting. But in both types of voting, you're ranking more than one candidate instead of just choosing one. So instead of just you know, choosing one mayoral candidate, you have the option to rank more than one. You, you put your first choice first, your second choice second, and so on and so forth. So, so for, for an example, if, you, if I can interrupt you for a second, for the mayor's race, we have nine contenders. So if we had ranked choice voting, when Chicagoans go to the polls, they wouldn't just say, well, I like Chewy Garcia, I like Paul Vallis. It would be, well, I like my favorite, I think, is Paul Vallis. But if he doesn't win, then I'd like to see Congressman Garcia. And if he doesn't win, then maybe maybe I'd still vote for Lori Lightfoot. And if she doesn't win, then I would go for Brandon Johnson all the way down the line till you rank all nine of them. Is that correct? That's exactly correct. And what this does is it gives voters much more power than they have right now. So as you said, in today's in the election that's coming up, if you want to vote for, I think you said Chewy Garcia first. Um, So the way voting works now, you would vote for Chewy Garcia. And then if he doesn't get enough votes, in this case, probably to get into the runoff, then that's it. Your vote is pretty much wasted. And mm-hmm. the, the benefit of that will go to a candidate, you know, to, to, to any of the candidates. You might end up helping a candidate that you don't want to help. You know, you might want to end up helping a candidate that you would really rather not see in the mayor's seat. So here, what you can do is you say, okay, I'd like Chewy Garcia, um, but if he doesn't win, if he doesn't make it into the the top two in this case of a runoff, then I'd like, I think you said Paul Vallis next. And so your vote isn't wasted. It can go to someone else. And if that one doesn't make it to the next round, then your vote still has a chance of counting for your third and fourth choices and so on and so forth. Um, so not only is your, is your vote much less likely to be wasted, but you can provide the, the system, this election, with a lot more information about the kind of mayor that you'd like. Would this also save money? I've heard people say it would save money because you don't have to have a runoff. And then I've heard other people say, oh, no, it would cost money because it's a more labor intensive process. Is there any financial upside or downside to this? Yes, it it can save money because you're not holding a runoff. Um, You know, it costs really a tremendous amount of money to hold an election, especially in a big place like Chicago. There are some upfront costs, you know, new new software in some cases where voting machines probably should be upgraded anyway, new machines, some new training. And so like any kind of change, there are some upfront costs. But um, but overall, in the long term, you can save money because you're replacing two elections with one. And I think it's important to note, too, that this is easier on voters. You know, voters uh, having to deal with two elections, essentially two campaigns, you know, they have to remember to go to the polls twice. They have to deal with a much longer, a a longer campaign cycle. It means candidates have to deal with a longer campaign cycle and raise more money um, and all of those things. And what we've seen is that eliminating one of these elections can actually boost turnout and overall increase the number of people who are involved in 
selecting your representatives. So in in many places, and sometimes in Chicago, there's drop-off between one election and the other. There'll be much higher turnout in one election and the other. And that shouldn't really happen. As much of the electorate as possible should be choosing who who gets to be in office. So ranked choice voting can help do that. It's one of the ways that it makes the process more democratic. The other way, of course, is by letting voters express their preferences in a much more powerful way, as we mentioned earlier. And this has some benefits that turn out to be um, this, this simple change of ranking, ranking candidates turns out to have a host of other benefits. So in addition to better reflecting what voters want, that also makes your government better reflect what the community wants, right? What the goals and values of the community are. So you have a better fit between the representatives who've gotten office and what the community wants. In addition to being more democratic, it can also be less divisive. So um, there's quite a bit of good data showing that campaigning becomes more civil when you have ranked choice voting because candidates don't want to alienate the supporters of their opponents. They would ah. rather get those, right. They would rather get those supporters to rank them second or third. So in some cases you actually have candidates co-campaigning and saying, you know, vote for me first, but if you don't, you know, you can vote for for um, my my competitor second or vice versa. You don't want to be really nasty to your opponents because you don't want to piss off their supporters. You you hope that you can get some of those second and third place votes. And that's in today's day and age and in today's political climate, a tremendous benefit for the system. Alyssa, we have a caller who wants to ask you a question. Dr. Dave is on the line. He has a question about ranked choice voting. Dave, go ahead. You're on with me and Alyssa Kaplan. Hi. Hi, Alyssa. How are you doing? So we just had... Great. How are you? We just had ranked choice voting in Alaska, and you only get to vote for your top two candidates. You don't get to vote like ranked on one through nine, like you would in the mayor's race, like if you voted Willie Wilson, you know what I'm saying? So, and then, um, so the trick is, is that, you know, how many votes should a voter get? Because in federal elections, it's illegal to have more than one vote. So technically, ranked choice voting is, is unconstitutional. But in local or state elections that don't involve federal office, it just has to do with state constitution. So since you can only vote one first place and second place, you could have collusion between candidates to limit other candidates. I, I'm not seeing the advantage politically here. Can you explain that to me? Go ahead, Alyssa. Well, Thank you for the call, Dave. Thanks, Dave, for the question. First of all, I'm, I'm not sure why he suggested that ranked choice voting would be unconstitutional in the federal context. Um, it's not true that this violates the principle of one person, one vote. Everybody still has one vote. You only vote once. It's just that if your vote doesn't go to the winner at the beginning, uh, you have other chances to to vote, essentially. But you only have one vote. It's one person, one mm-hmm. vote. Um, well, and, and I understand what you mean, because I've talked to people, Alyssa, who've said, 
Well, you know, I really like candidate X, but I've heard they don't have much of a chance of winning and I don't want to waste my vote. So maybe I'll vote for candidate Y. It would also um, help in situations like that. But I interrupted you. Please go ahead and answer Dave's question. You're absolutely right. And I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to who live in Chicago right now and are struggling with exactly that decision. They are trying to figure out who they can vote for, who has who they can tolerate and has the best chance of winning instead of just saying, this is the person I like who I think would be the best mayor and I'm going to vote for them. That's what ranked choice voting liberates you to be able to do. It, it allows you to vote for the person that you actually want to vote for instead of having to try to think like a political strategist. I think we've all been in this position at some point uh, and worry that you're, you're wasting your vote or that you're, you're going to, the vote mm-hmm. is going to split among other candidates. I mean, what's democratic about that? Nothing, you know, and we hear this complaint about the lesser of two evils and how it um, and how people feel disaffected from the system because that's the choice that they sometimes have to make. Um, As for the gamesmanship issue, actually ranked choice voting prevents certain types of gamesmanship. And we've seen these types of games in Chicago running a ghost candidate, for example, a candidate who's not actually a serious candidate, but is put on the ballot so that they could split the vote of some political group. You know, they might run a vote that run a candidate that's that's similar ideologically or ethnically. Or if a white candidate candidate is facing a Hispanic challenger and um, they want to split the Hispanic vote, run somebody that's a candidate, but not seriously with a Hispanic name. That's exactly right. And that kind of thing, unfortunately, happens all the time. Sometimes, as we said, with both candidates, it's purposeful. But even when it happens naturally, it's not a good result. You can end up with a winner because similar candidates split the vote. You can end up with a winner that the majority doesn't want at all. That's the last person that the majority wants. You know, if you've got uh, uh, two, two similar candidates splitting the vote, 20 percent, 20, splitting 40 percent of the vote, 20 percent, 20 percent, and then somebody comes in with 30 percent, that 30 percent candidate is going to win, even though more people wanted one of the other ones when you combine mm-hmm. their vote. So that's not democratic either. So ranked choice voting, although it does encourage some kinds of beneficial behavior like more civilized com- campaigning and cooperation, it can reduce these other kinds of um, undesirable types of behavior. And this, this, yeah, go ahead. No, I was, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I'll ask my question when you're done. Yeah, this characteristic that you don't have to worry about um, who you're voting for. That in, sorry, about the, the electoral chances of the person that you really want to vote for. You don't, you don't have to worry simultaneously, you know, do I like this candidate and do they have a good chance of winning? Um, what that does is open the doors to, to a broader range of candidates than you would have under, under conventional voting. Because then you, you can have a candidate who, you know, um, who is maybe less conventionally electable. Um, and traditionally, historically, that's been maybe um, candidates of color or women, uh, people with less uh, money, uh, fewer ties to the political establishment, 
um, less conventional establishment ideas, for example, and people would be hesitant to vote for those candidates because they'd be worried about wasting their vote. But with ranked choice voting, that's not a concern. So you open the, the candidate field to a wider range of candidates. And for that and other reasons, we've seen increases in diversity of elected bodies in places that have, have adopted ranked choice voting. Well, I'll hold my question for a minute because we have another question from the audience. Uh, Patricia is calling in with a question for you. Patricia, you're on with me and Alyssa Kaplan. Yes, hi. Thank you. Um, I'm still having trouble understanding the ranked voting. For example, Alderman in Chicago, I'm rather mayor in Chicago, we have nine candidates. Under ranked voting, if I vote for candidate A, does that mean he gets like nine points? And then I vote for candidate B and he gets eight points. And then I vote all the way down till the last candidate I, I, I vote for gets just one point. Well, Patricia, you know, here what I'm going to do is because I need to understand this as well. I'm going to tell Alyssa how I think it works and she can inform you and correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, the candidates for mayor, we have nine of them. My understanding, if we had ranked choice voting, you go into your little booth, you close the little curtain and you put the candidates you vote for them in the order in which you want them or perhaps can tolerate them. Maybe you vote. Maybe you were a supporter of Lori Lightfoot. She put her down as number one. If not her, Chewy Garcia, put him down as number two. Maybe Brandon Johnson after that. He'd be number three. And so on and so on and so on until you get to the candidate you least like. And that would be your number nine. You would basically put them in order of your preference. And and let's say your your number one choice, Lori Lightfoot, um, doesn't have enough votes to win. Looking at all the ballots, all the people who did this, she doesn't have enough votes to win. So who do we who do we vote for as the next mayor? My understanding is that with ranked choice voting, all of the candidates that were put in that ninth final position, would those candidates would be taken off of those ballots. Let's say, let's just for argument's sake, say uh, Jamal Green was your ninth choice. He would be taken off the ballot and all of the votes, all the all the ballots for those people would be looked at and those votes for the ninth candidate would get redistributed to the other candidates. Alyssa, I didn't do a very good job of that. Help me out here. I'm dying. <laughs> no, no, you did. It's really, I, I think sometimes people make it more complicated than it is. If I can use a simple example that I think most of us are familiar with, and that's the, the 2000 election, where um, presidential election, where Al Gore, Ralph Nader, and George W. Bush uh, were running for president. And there have been, if we remember that election, um, there are still, I think, some people who think that Ralph Nader siphoned off some votes that would otherwise have gone to Al Gore. So if we'd had ranked choice voting instead of regular voting, people who wanted to vote for Ralph Nader could vote for Ralph Nader first. They'd put him first. And um, but then if when the initial votes were tallied, if he would come in last in the votes, right? I think he only got a couple percent in, in, in votes. So he would come in last. No way he's going to win. 
So in that first round of voting, he would drop out. And anybody who voted for Ralph Nader, their second vote would get counted. And for most of those people, I think we'd assume that their second vote was Al Gore. Um, and so, so their votes would go to Al Gore, and it would be as if they never voted for Ralph Nader. So their vote wouldn't get wasted, and they wouldn't end up helping George W. Bush, who presumably exactly. didn't help. I guess so, what I um, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I guess what I have a problem with is you're ranking different candidates. And so let's say in this case, uh, Ralph Nader gets a lot of number, number, let's say there are three candidates, three, number three votes, but he's also gotten some two and number one votes. So how is that evened out? Um, that's why I asked, is there a numerical point system sort of assigned to everyone's rank? Well, my understanding is if the, if enough people vote for the same candidate for number one, if that candidate walks away with 50 percent plus one, then it it's done. It's over. This isn't a way of that's like exactly taking right. victory away from somebody. That's exactly right. And that's an important point. If if 50 percent, if more than 50 percent of people vote for someone for first choice, then that person wins. There's no need to go on to subsequent rounds of voting. What this is is essentially a runoff, an instant runoff. So it's like having a runoff without actually going through the pain in the neck of having a runoff. So, you know, you, you, you move after the first round of voting, you move to the top, you know, the next top. Um, if you have six candidates, you move to the next top five candidates. Um, after that, whoever comes in last of the top five candidates, then you move to the next top four candidates. So it's really just like having an instant runoff. And if it helps for you to feel that, to think of it that way, um, that works perfectly well. In fact, sometimes it's called instant runoff voting. Yeah. Okay, so am I correct if I, if I say that everybody has to, to be counted, has to get to the, their, their votes for the first place are counted? Yes. For yeah. all the different, mm-hmm. so yeah. in other words, how, how many can't, how many um, votes a person gets for second place aren't that important? Uh, right. Well, well, it can be if the first place, if everybody's first place doesn't get enough votes. Uh-huh. It's, right, right. Then, it's, then it's, people's it's, second place votes count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alyssa, I'm going to have to have you back because I feel like I've made a muddle of this and I apologize for that because I thought, you know, before we started this discussion, I thought, I know what that is. I get that. And now that I I try to talk about it, I I simply cannot articulate what's in my head. So I I think I think you articulated it perfectly well. I didn't think anything wrong with the way you articulate it. <laughs> just think of it like anything else when you when you go to a restaurant and they don't have your first choice you ask for your second choice meal if they don't have there you choice, go you ask for your third choice there so a exactly food analogy Alyssa. that i understand <laughs> thank you we're going to have Great. you back Alyssa kaplan has not finished with us yet we are going to have her back so we can talk about this again especially since uh, as she said alderman matt martin has introduced a resolution that it should be studied in the chicago city council we have to take a break for news and uh, we will be back with dr willie wilson after this Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820.
Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. On WCPT 820. Dr. Willie Wilson is one of the names that you will find on your February 28th ballot if you live in the city of Chicago. Well, you know what? Actually, you may see it on your ballot today. Early voting has started. It is available in all 50 of Chicago's wards. There are even some weekend hours, if that's the best time for you. So voting is already underway. February 28th is, of course, Election Day, which will be the final day to cast your ballot in this race. And from now till then, we are asking each of the candidates for mayor to spend some time with us talking about the issues and answering questions about their ideas, their agenda, and their campaign. Toward that end, we now welcome Dr. Willie Wilson. How are you today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing, I'm doing really, really well. Uh, thank you for asking, and happy Valentine's Day to you, too. Thank you. Thank you, you too, and all the <laughs> guests and people who's at the station as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we have a, we have a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. But I want to start by, by looking back. You know, you were one of the people in the crowded field, uh, where Lori Lightfoot emerged as a winner last time around. You eventually supported her, and yet this time around, you have decided to run against her again. One of the things that you really helped her with, as I recall last time around, was taking her to some of the churches. You have a lot of of religious support, particularly in the south and west sides. That was an area where she had not made great inroads, and you took her and you introduced her to those communities, and you were sort of a a liaison there. Um, Since you are in the race yourself this time around, I'm guessing you are counting on that support for yourself, Dr. Wilson. Well, yeah, last time when I supported her, um, I just, like I always say, I made a hell of a mistake. And um, it was a mistake, you know. And so um, that's basically all I can say about about that. Uh, I don't think she would not have um, um, been mayor today if I had not uh, made that comment and uh, took around to the churches and did what we did. But it was a mistake. And um, I, I kind of like now we running to help kind of get Chicago hopefully back on track where it should be. And, uh, uh, you know, let's, come out every well, let's time dig into that. that. Let's you know? be specific. What is, what is the, the biggest, when you look at that and say that was a mistake, what is the biggest area of, um, disagreement you have with her now? Where has she gone, uh, in what, On what topic or in what area has she gone in a direction that you cannot support? Well, I can't support her on anything, but to get out of the office, we're going to put it out of there on the 28th. But I I would say this, the number one topic is crime, crime. The second one to me is taxes. If you don't get crime under its belt and taxes, you can forget about it because people are going to move out of the city. Uh, business going to move out of the city. People going to shop out of the city. New business going to come into the city. Uh, you, you know, so you got to deal with those two 
if you can't deal with those two, the rest of it ain't much use in talking about it. You got to back your police officers. Uh, you got to let them know you're behind them. And, and you got to remove some of these stipulations so they can do their job. You, you know, I, I, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, and um, those, some of the area there, we'll put the four police superintendents divide the city and let everybody be accountable and we'll integrate the cars and uh, make sure that we got a mixture of people that they can relate to the uh, community. Uh, I did release my uh uh, plan for crime to to today at the press conference at uh, the city club. Tell us about it. You need. Can to, you give us? Can you give us some highlights? Well, there were two there. The other ones are basically making sure they pay more money, making sure they got uh, a wellness center that they can go to and and check in every week to. Does anybody want to talk to anybody about, uh, you know, suicide is this high? And they could talk to people there, and uh, they can re- remove some of these restrictions that they can't chase somebody when they run, uh, get that removed off them. Uh, and, and, and those just just some of them. And we talked to hundreds of police officers around the, uh, around the city, and they need to be felt that if they – do some that they're not going to lose their job or lose their pension. Uh, they got family to take care of, so they don't know which way to go. And and how and do you so, balance that? How do you balance the police feeling that the local city government has their back, and also concerns, especially in some neighborhoods, that the police um, sometimes take justice into their own hands and operate. Uh, like they're not accountable to anybody. How do you balance those two things? Well, in certain areas in Chicago, everyone has to um, be held accountable. Look, those police officers are people from out of our community, you know, and and and, and so you got to look at at that. You got to take them uh, uh, put on a monthly basis or, or maybe more often a cap meeting. And one of those particular out of the four superintendent policemen can get to those cap meetings on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, along with the politician, and uh, and then begin to talk in this uh-huh. situation and, and problem, bring people together. Um, you know, uh, the crime is, is it has no color. You know, so I ain't think about color. You know, because crime hurt everybody. I lost a twenty year old son to violence. And, and and so in order to get things right, of course, you got to put infrastructure in place, too. But police officers from our community, so you, you you can't separate them necessarily. You they from our community, of our community, and they're heroes. They're the first one on the line 24-7 who goes out every day and put their lives on the line for, for us. Well, you have said, I mean, obviously, you're you're waging a tough on crime campaign. You've said that you want to take the handcuffs off of police, uh, that you want them to be able to be more aggressive when they run down suspects. Um, can you see, though, where that frightens some people? Because, you know, we have a federal consent decree because of problems with how the police force was behaving. And frankly, a lot of people are even upset that the consent decree has not been put in place more thoroughly than it has up to this point. 
Well, let me let me correct you exactly what I said. I said you take the handcuff off the police officer and put him on a warrant that that done did uh, uh, the crime. Uh, and today at my press company, I have about six, seven, eight uh, women there, female. That one of the, that female uh, son got shot twenty-seven times, I think, well, last week, and got caught. Uh, there's a lot of people that running around right now. Done got uh, lost, lost loved ones, and ain't got caught six months or a year, and still running around to to commit a crime to somebody else. It seems like to me, people are more concerned about sympathy for the trucks than the police and law-abiding citizen. That don't make sense. I mean, I mean, look, these 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 guys and ladies, whoever it is. Is going to go down the street the next day or the next week and hurt or kill someone else, and so that's what I said, and I, I'd be very clear on that, you know. And and I I, I said that we gotta catch them and run them down, and like a rabbit, I said, and that they're gonna act like an animal, then that's what they are, you know. And then they're gonna go around and kill somebody else, and nobody get caught. Everybody just complaining. And nobody get caught. And these uh, families are burying people, their loved ones. Senior citizens can't go out the house. People's frightened to death. I, I uh, look. You got to use common sense. Everybody must be held accountable, including myself. This is not a issue of of of, of just a easy situation that you can just just say. But this is a serious situation. This is crime. These people losing their lives, and, and people going to have sympathy for those people who kill people? It, it don't make sense. And don't ever get caught. Dr. Wilson, we need to take a quick break. I want to continue to talk to you about public safety, one of the big, if not the biggest issue of this campaign. We're Dr. Willie Wilson and I are going to take a real quick break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. If you haven't experienced Talk Volkswagen of Joliet for yourself, now is a great time. Choose from a huge selection of new Volkswagen models like Jetta, Passat, Tiguan, Atlas, and Atlas Cross Sport. Over 30 of each in stock. All the hard-to-find trim levels and colors all ready for immediate delivery. Outstanding service, selection, and a first-class experience. That's why so many have chosen Hawk Volkswagen on Jefferson Street in Joliet, online at hawkvw.com. The David Pacman Show. Is there nothing they won't defend if it has an R next to its name and if the left doesn't like it? We saw they went for Trump. Now, even with George Santos, they're finding a way to defend him. Hopefully in the future, people will learn about this era and they will say, wow, what a stupid era. Really the golden age of ignorance there. The David Pacman Show, weekday evenings at 10 on WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk. Chicago's progressive talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. We are talking to the Reverend Dr. Willie Wilson, who is running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. We have been talking 
about crime and safety. And he has been explaining uh, the way he would like to support the police going forward. Uh, Dr. Wilson, um, you and Paul Vallis have both been described as the most pro-police of all the candidates. You both have also um, been um, described as Republican candidates. Um, Paul Vallis did get the Fraternal Order of Police endorsement. Do you feel that the police are supporting your campaign? And if so, how does your stance on law and order, who who is reacting to that? Who is supporting you because of your stance? Well, I look, I'm I'm not Republican. I'm not Democrat. I'm for the people. Uh, I'm not even running to office to get paid a paycheck. I don't want a paycheck. You know, I'm not collecting money, 50000 or 100000 or a million dollars for nobody because I'm not going to have allowed it to drive me between the decision between the community and, uh, and, and, and someone else. So my time is free. You get me free of charge. I am a business person. I understand it, you know. Uh, so, so you're saying that you haven't I, been pursuing any endorsements? Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. I mean, those people who want to endorse me, that's fine. I will get uh, endorsed by the uh, Polish of, uh, of Congress, the state of uh, Illinois. We got endorsed by the Latina Minister of uh, Alliance. Uh, the Filipina, uh, uh, the Italian Police uh, Association, uh, the African American Minister, of course, and and no, 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 we got endorsed, and I, uh, I look, I, I welcome anybody in, in, in endorsement. I, I'm not running for the job for a paycheck, you know. I'm running for the people, and and so if if a Republican is 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 going to not raise taxes. On people, I'm Republican. If the Democrat is not going to raise taxes on people, I'm Democrat. But if either one of them going to raise taxes on people, I'm not for them. That's it, you know. So we uh, look. We we we're just trying to help. And 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 I look. I love Chicago. I got my start in Chicago. It's it's time for me to step out and do something because I have the resources in terms of. I don't necessarily have to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. So let me give something back and try to help this city without any charge. Well, Dr. Wilson, you obviously have plenty of money to fund your campaign. But if you're elected mayor of Chicago, I'm not sure you want to dip into your personal checking account to fund the city of Chicago. And without raising some taxes somewhere, how are you going to fund some of the ideas that you want, some of the programs that you want? Well, let me put it this way. When you raise taxes, you run people out of Chicago. How are you going to raise taxes on people when they don't even have enough money to buy milk and egg at home? How? You know, how you, where are you going to get the money from? You know, but if you lower taxes, you keep them here in Chicago, they shop in Chicago. They don't have to go out in the suburban. The business stays here, you know. But the way they're going now, raising tax, you keep running them out. But if you lower taxes, here again, you lower taxes, people stay in shop. It's just like if you go to a service station. If there's gasoline, a few pennies left, and one is high on the other side of the, city, the street, they're going to go to the one that's less. 
to cut the, the consumer need the dollar to survive and take care of his family. So I never have figured out how you raise taxes and run people out of this city and expect to fund this program. These, these young ladies, young men, and, and senior citizens losing their homes for taxes, or other people go and, and buy them from them and lease them. Well, let's say let's say your your idea is right. You lower taxes and you make the city of Chicago a more attractive place to live, to work and shop. Still, between the time you lower taxes and the time people decide, hey, maybe I'll move there. It's not as expensive as it used to be. There will be at least some sort of of gap. What programs are you going to cut? What budgets are you going to cut to make up that shortfall? Well, let's put it this way. Right now, you got more than a short call because shortfall. Because every time you raise these taxes, people keep moving out. That's a flood. They keep going out of the city, and they came. They shop out of the city and things of that nature. But but see, you got to understand. I'm a business person. I have to balance my budget. One morning, I woke up and I was seventy two thousand uh, dollars in debt. Well, it took me another year to cut, make ways uh, work. And to get out of that debt, all right? These, these look every time you got an issue in the city of Chicago, these politicians raise taxes on people. You got to be able to solve a problem without raising taxes on people and running a citizen out of this out of this city. Look, I, I would get involved the people in the city of Chicago, and we would talk, we'll work together. But one person can't figure it out by themselves. It take a people. One person, just because you're the mayor of the city of Chicago, doesn't give you the right to make decisions for all of us. You get you get consensus. You talk to people. You have these monthly meetings and things like that. And you sit down. You work them out. I have experience in, in, in the business world. And we've, we've done this. You know, in the business world, if you don't do your job and you lose money, well, you get fired. You know, this administration now... Uh, they, guess what they do? They they get themselves raises, automatic raises, right now, automatic raises when people came buy food at the store. You you ain't going nowhere there. I mean, just using common sense. So yeah, there'll be time that we can run up against a situation. We have to sit down and work a different way. You know, bidding some of these contracts out, balancing budgets, uh, and and, and uh, making sure that the that the people you give tax break to major corporation as well as small corporation too. And see, people got to understand when you give tax breaks to major corporation that they can survive, they got thousands and thousands of other small businesses that, that, that uh, support them and the business survive to support the community. So the tax breaks that you're talking about are mostly for big and small businesses. What about property tax relief? What about lowering the taxes uh, for the average person? That's what we talk about, too. Because see, you, you really don't. When, when, when you raise the taxes, you run people out. But when you lower taxes, people stay here and spend more money in town. I'm talking about the citizen itself. But even if you lower taxes on the small business and large business, those consumers uh, is, is, is feeding off the, 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 the community because they're working in these particular businesses, you know. So you people got to understand how business works and how you keep people here. The way they're going right now, you would never survive. You kick a can down the road. 
This mayor right now raised taxes already. Then they raised red light camera taxes. Uh, uh, the people that ain't friendly to to the, the citizen, you know. So you, you just don't go that way. You find ways and solutions by working with the community, working with the business people, and make this thing work. Indiana does it. Texas does it. Florida does it. All these different uh, Nevada does it. Arizona, Las Vegas, and all those places, places do it. We're smarter than those places, in my opinion. We're the Midwest. You know, but 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 some of these people in office now just don't get it. You know, we we have to get in there and roll our sleeve up and make it happen because instead of some pay a person to a job and they come along and say, well, okay, I'm gonna raise taxes on you to do a job. Well, you don't need to nobody gonna be mayor and you don't put them in there gonna come around and raise your taxes and and, and run you out of the city. You do realize that the three states you held up an example, Florida, Indiana, Texas, are all deeply red states. We need to take a break, Dr. Wilson. We're going to continue this discussion when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT Willow Springs, is powered by ComEd. See how ComEd is preparing for a clean energy future at comed.com slash clean energy. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. February 28th, there is an election in the city of Chicago. There are nine candidates who are vying to, if not be the next mayor, at least get into the runoff that will likely be on the books for April 4th. We are talking to Dr. Willie Wilson right now, and uh, we have a caller who wants to join our conversation Matthew is calling in from Chicago. Matthew, you're on with me and Willie Wilson. Go ahead with your question. Okay, good afternoon to both of you. Um, My thing is about crime and discipline. Uh, The reason the, the crime is so rampant because the parents don't discipline their children. The children aren't afraid of anything. They're 12, 13, and 14 years old is the majority of the ones that's doing the carjacking and killing people. I remember a time when we knew the police on the beat, when there weren't all these uh, automatic weapons. There was something called zip guns. But now they can't walk the beat. The police can't walk the beat because the perpetrators have automatic weapons. The police don't want to walk into the neighborhood. So something needs to be done to these parents of these children. The parents are 25, 26, 27 years old. They don't know anything themselves. So I would like to ask Dr. Willie Wilson, could he have any idea to implement something that would put discipline back into the family's statute? Dr. Wilson, you want to take that and run with it? Well, yeah, uh, I, I look, <clears throat> we can... You know, some people go through different type of situation, personal, within their home and their lives, and they make those decisions. Some got different situations. Some people came up with, come up without parents, and some people don't have food to eat and things of that nature. That's a situation there. We just have to make sure that, economically speaking, that they can have enough resources to to make a living and those type of things, but the rest of it in terms of discipline to their parents, I, I I'll be honest with you, I don't have an answer for that right there. No more than to try to make things convenient as possible from an economic standpoint of view and put things in place for these young men and young ladies out here that they have something to do 
and try to maybe start it into schools and things of that nature. And even if they end up going to 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 jail for some misdemeanor or whatever they do, once they serve their time, uh, they get out. But before that time, put some type of trade within those prison systems as well as in the school before you pass from one grade to the next grade to try to make things better for them in terms of their social life and things of that nature. And, and, and also mental health, you know, open some of those centers back up. Uh, we got to get those type of situations together as well. It, it, it's tough when you got areas out here that people can't even afford uh, hollow to make a living, and 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 so my job, as I see it, would be as mayor, is trying to make those things convenient there, but to put a fine on the parents and things of that nature. No, I that one there, I, I that had to come from the people themselves. What they had to do that, I wouldn't jump involved in that because I don't know what the situation are, you know, things of that nature. So that's about the best way that I can answer that my job again is to try to make things convenient economic socially the best we can and have things for them to do including now the kid including the parents too you know uh dr wilson we actually had a listener text in a very similar question well in the same vein anyway as matthew's question they texted in what type of prison mentorship and rehabilitation do you support to improve prison conditions and help end the revolving door. I realize that that's not necessarily part of what a Chicago mayor um, does as uh, as part of their job, but uh, it is related a little bit to Matthew's question. So do you have any thoughts on how to end that revolving door and how to, you know, how to make sure that people who've done their time actually are reintegrated into the community? Well, one of the things you have to do, the one that's in Chicago, which the mayor says Chicago, put program together. Now, I, I, I admit, like, I got a lot of people out of jail for misdemeanor and nonviolent that had been sitting in jail six months or a year and didn't even have a court date. You know, some of them was in there for stealing food for their parents and themselves and babies and things of that nature, too. But we got a lot of them out, and then we got a lot of them out for misdemeanor and nonviolent. We we acted with my resource that I particularly have was that to uh, I went in my pocket and gave them money myself. But for as the city is concerned, you got to have trade once they got out that place for them to live, affordable housing. You know, you got to have a trade school uh, apprenticeship. That people can learn skills that don't have them don't have the money, but have a way for them to get in there and learn. And you got to bring help bring yourself a steam back. You got to have counselor things of that nature, and you got to have these mental health institute to kind of uh, help you if that be a problem as well. But I one of the um, kind of one of the themes that comes up over and over again in this show is the fact that it's harder and harder these days to support a family with just one job. Um, and unions are seen as a, as a real answer to making sure that people have good paying jobs that are safe to do and a great pension plan. Did you support the workers' rights amendment? No, I, I listen, I, I'm not, I'm not against, the only thing, I'm not against union. The only thing I said to the union, I say this again too. 
you need equal opportunity, equality against, I mean, for every citizen that's out there. You know, that's a, that's a people decision. Everybody got a right to do what they want to do in, 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 in life, you know. But equal opportunity, equality, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro people. You know, I, 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 you well, know, if the only opportunity you have is a low-paying job, that's not really the pathway to have well, a great I, life or I, I, a great family. Yeah, yeah, but look here. We got to work with the union. And after the union has to take then 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 get involved with the city and the city get involved with the union and look at all the trade that they can teach the community who who do not have the experience and get them up to part. We have to get them involved and talk with them. You know? And and and, and once we get that and communicate then we get things to moving. But you know, like, like you know, look, my job is to do what the people would like me to do by communicating and getting it done and show leadership. You know, get in there and negotiate. If 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 I gotta get some pass a bill passed, you don't pass a bill to forty percent of people against you. You know, you don't do that. You go and talk to them one on one, work with the community, and then you pass something. Get try to get the consensus of a majority of them. But unions and things of that nature, we got to talk together, put some things together. It's much easier for everybody. You know, uh, you don't have about 15, maybe 14 areas that is, let's say, depressed. Because a lot of those particular areas that don't can't make a living, they don't have the experience. That's why I say they, they put trade in school, but you can get the union, help with that, with trade and community center. Uh, union can help with that, too. Uh, put them in churches. Yeah, even the computer. You know, I say, look, let's work together and, and make this thing work. I don't have all of the answer to everything. I'm not going to you know, sit here and say that. But I, the answer will be talking and working things out. My life has been, since I uh, was 13, ran away from home, and one day in the eighth grade, all the education that I got, and but we still made it. We will have gotten everything in life that my heart have desire and made it. It ain't been easy, but we found ways to work it out and to get through these hard times together. Uh, I made and built tough fight. We are talking with mayoral candidate Dr. Willie Wilson. Um, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about schools and uh, we're going to talk about property taxes more right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. If you're selling a home or maybe buying a home, if you would like to save some money and who wouldn't, call Team Hochberg, your trusted local lender. Team Hochberg is offering their Perks at Work benefit through the end of April. It can save you thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home. Here's how it works. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor sells your home, they'll reduce their fee up to 1%. When a Team Hochberg-affiliated realtor helps you buy a home, you'll receive up to 1% of their commission as a closing cost credit. Team Hochberg will credit their loan origination fee and... Their affiliated attorney will reduce their fee. One couple saved close to $9,000 using perks at work when they sold their home and bought a new one. 
To learn how you can save thousands of dollars the next time you buy or sell a home, give Team Hochberg a call, 855-56-DAVID, or visit 56david.com. That number again, 855-563-2843, or go online, 56david.com. Lower.com, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS, 1124061. WCPT Replay. You know, one of our listeners and, and a friend and neighbor called in, had said that they used to listen to a lot of right-wing stuff, and, and it appealed to them because what they're very good at is making everything that's wrong in your life somebody else's fault. If there's something that you don't have, it's because of the black people, or, you know, if you're not happy, it's because women are killing this... Amy. Yeah, <laughs> right. It, all the things that are wrong in your life are because of the commies and the socialists, the pinkos, people who are gay, or men who dress like women and women who dress like men, these are all, you know, aberrations to society and and it's the downfall of our civilization. And I'm just, it it spreads like a virus. What I'm calling for when I sound angry, it's because people really are attacking individuals, their liberty and their safety. That's what I don't have tolerance for. Keep listening to WCPT 820. Because facts matter. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. Now back to Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Here at WCPT, we are talking to all the candidates for mayor. I am currently joined by Dr. Willie Wilson. And uh, we have a text question that came in. Hi, Joan. Does Mr. Wilson accept the current system of utilizing property taxes to fund our public schools? Is it fair? Is it equitable? What do you think, Dr. Wilson? Well, first of all, I, I think what it had to do, every time you, the politician today, got a problem, they raise taxes on people. <laughs> That's the wrong way of doing it. You know, you got to work your way through and build it out. The other way these the politicians is also taking in uh not only raising taxes, they're raising their own pay pay uh paycheck. You know. I I I think what they gotta do is get in there and hold those these uh, politicians accountable and in order to keep things down, it, it it goes to the school but they gotta have other resources. You gotta lower taxes to bring business in in order that you got the dollars that goes around and and, and to uh, to take care of things, I, I don't believe that that the way you should should go. We need more than just private taxes to support schools. Uh, the state it can look at some kind of ways of doing it that, but it level to the mayor to make the thing work. Bring in new business, have business stay here. Bring in people from out of the suburban to look at. Mission Avenue, look at the city of Chicago. Uh, don't let people leave like uh, 14, leave like, look like the Chicago Bears that you didn't get in there and support it before it got to where it's at now. Uh, you know, you you, you got to work and keep these things here, and then you would see things begin to change. And then the education system here again is that kids are no longer, parents no longer letting the kids as a whole, go to the public school because they are afraid of uh, violence. Uh, also, you know, recently, uh, a few years back, you got kids uh, being uh, sexual abuse. 
and things of that nature. And then, you know, you also got the the mayor of the city of Chicago said she loved the school, but she's in there trying to get kids to help her with her reelection using the kids. So this kind of carrying on has got to go. You know, well, you talked so uh, you along these lines. Dollars, you talked earlier about lowering taxes on big corporations and small businesses. What about property taxes? Um, do you think that we well, should I lower those? That. We, we, we should we should work and lower those too. But see what I've got to do. You got to streamline your budget and go and cut calls to set out of all this these these things. Like you got consultant, you got to bid out contractors, saying people that. Let's say if you're going to make a hammer and you're selling a hammer for $500, you know, because the same person uh going to do your favors for your reelection. Now, you might buy that hammer if you bid it out for, let's say, $500, you might buy that hammer for $50 or $100. You know, you go and you hire a consultant, you know, consultant that you don't need, you know, but you hire him because you owe favor to you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, 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 you get kicked back. From people who donate to your campaign, you, you, you cut all that out. I, I have none of that baggage going with, with going with me. None of it. You streamline all of that, then you'll find that people start shopping in Chicago. People from outside start coming in, and you won't have to worry about these property tax. You begin to lower them. You know, I believe Indiana last year gave back a two hundred fifty dollars per citizen. I think it was. Uh, well, last year, and now can do it, so we can do it. You know, I, I, I just, uh, that's how I see it. And I'm not saying none of this is going to be easy, but these are some different. You, we can't do the same thing that we've been doing. You keep going down, you know, but I'm going to be much better than who you got now, you know. Um, Dr. Wilson, we have another caller who uh, wants to talk with you. Um, I'm sorry, Andy, I don't see his... Isaac. Isaac wants to talk with you, Dr. Wilson. Go ahead, Isaac. You're on with me and Dr. Willie Wilson. Good evening, Dr. Wilson and Joan. Uh, my question is this, Dr. Wilson. I'm a yoga practitioner. I'm a yogi. I'm somebody who's been practicing yoga all their life. And I practice yoga in Chicago Public Schools. But one of the issues that I see is that kids don't get enough exercise. In fact, the question never comes up. They don't get any exercise at all. So when I see kids going around with all this stress, suffering from anxiety, depression, there is no exercise. These kids aren't getting any exercise. They don't go to the park. And I'm, I'm just one yoga practitioner. I've written a program called Yoga for Your Eyes, and I'm a yoga practitioner. And this is a program that I would like to see in Chicago Public School. But uh, the, always the issue is the funding. So um, that's my question. How can we help these kids to deal with anxiety and stress in a world where this you know, so full of stress and anxiety, and these kids don't get any exercise. And I'm just one yoga practitioner. So if you can come in and help me out on this, I appreciate it. Dr. Wilson? I, 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 yeah. I, I, I think... Andy, did um, we just... Um, and, and, oh. and, and, I'm sorry. I, I lost you in my in my earpiece for a few seconds. I thought I thought maybe we'd lost you, Doctor Wilson. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I think we need to pull uh, people in like himself to give ideas and suggestions 
make find ways of putting the fun in there for kids to be able to 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 exercise is uh, type of exercise they need uh, as, as, as well as get the, the proper nutrition you know that they need as well. Uh, I, so, I uh, how about free breakfasts and and free school lunches? And do you support early childhood education? Uh, yes, I do. I but but free lunches and uh, breakfast, I support the, uh, the, the the people who cannot afford it. All right. In other words, I have some very wealthy friends uh, living in the suburban. And when the check came by that the for COVID nineteen, well the the check came direct to them too, and and and, and so my friend said, the son and daughter came to them and said, Dad, why are we getting these checks? We don't need the money, all right? Well, they welter. They didn't need the money, you know, but so they kept the money anyway, but didn't need it, all right? So so for those who can uh, cannot afford it. Then we help them, but those that can afford it, you let them pay their way, you know. And and so I think that had to be in place that those who need food to eat and exercise to help better them physical and and, and mind wise as well should have the opportunity to to make a way so they can get that because they don't have the necessary resources because otherwise than that they end up. Um, you know, um, dying early or in the prison system, we pay for it one way or another, you know? And and so there's something that you have to put aside trying to save a dollar on it. Your people come first, and then you'll find a dollar for everything else. You should find a dollar for the citizens of Chicago. Um, we have another caller who wants to ask you a question. Chris is calling in from Chicago. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, this is Chris from Chicago. How you doing? Good. How you do? Okay. I have a question. When 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 you talk about bringing a prison to plan for prisoners to come home and get reformed, um, I was I was just curious. Are you paying for? What are you doing to bring these prisoners home back to Chicago? What 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 job opportunities are you giving to these residents in Chicago as in opening factories and businesses so Chicago residents that you're getting out of prison can work? And and not just people get. It's important to offer job opportunities for people getting out of prison. It's also important to offer job opportunities for people who live in neighborhoods where there just aren't any. How would you increase jobs, Doctor Wilson, for everybody? Well, well, yeah. Well, I look. They're twofold here. Some of the people that get out in prison got no place to go, and they go right back into prison. You know, uh, because they don't have job or food to eat, and they get back into prison so they can have food to eat and and their health and things of that nature as as, as well. And those those are those one that live into area of uh, financially can't already out there and survive. But there's an infrastructure here because you can still take a job making if you take a job making minimum wage, you can't even afford to pay for insurance that way. 
uh, because there's not enough dollars there. And I was speaking of the situation while I was uh, help prepare. One is that a person that is in school going to move from one grade to eighth grade must have a trade. Those people who in, in those particular prison systems, so they don't want to have a job, but they have a good paying job to keep them from going backward. And how you take them and kind of do that is that the keep jobs that is here now, uh, my thing, and bring new jobs into it, you have to make it attractive. You got to lower taxes and get crime down, you know, because nobody's not going to want to come and do business in your neighborhood if crime is high. And nobody, if your tax is high, nobody will want to take and do that either. So I'm saying that you got you to work on that and then lower these things and work that and make it attractive. But crime would be number one. Because you've got to get a hold of it. You have to have people respecting the people who work in our community, who are police officers. we got to get a hold of this crime situation and get that broken up so we can start making the place attractive for, for people Dr. to come Wilson, here. We, um, we have uh, just a, a minute or two left. What, what would you like our listeners to know about you or to take away from this interview? What's the one point you want them to remember? Well, I'm, I'm donating my time free of charge without a paycheck. Uh, also, um, if, if we can spend that kind of money personally myself and give it away, probably last year, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 million dollars of my own money away, you know, and care about Chicago just that much. Think about what we're going to do uh, once we become mayor of city of Chicago, equal opportunity, equality for everybody. I don't want nothing from from uh, financial from the city of Chicago and people. I'm doing this just to help. Um, you, you know, so uh, look, make a decision. I, I do hope you go out and vote. Even if it's not vote for me, vote for somebody, you know. So, so I, I, I'd say... Uh, outside of that, uh, look, uh, it's a tough job, and, and I, I am a person of faith, and I say, hey, pray for me. That's good enough. I don't ask for any citizen of Chicago. Just just pray for me. Let get the job, that we can get the job done according to my faith and according to the citizen of Chicago, that we can please the people that live here and want to raise their kids and family, get down these crimes, get down these taxes. Dr. Wilson, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you taking so much time with us and uh, our listeners and answering their questions. Um, Willie Wilson is going to be on the ballot February 28th. It is two weeks from today. Thanks, Dr. Wilson. Thanks for being here. All right. You have a, have a great night. Um, that's going to do it for me. Driving it home with the lovely and talented Patty Vasquez is next. Um, I will see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock, and uh, Santita Jackson will greet you at 6 a.m. in the morning. So have a great evening, my friends. Stay safe. I will see you tomorrow. Good night.